Welcome to Creation, Myth, or Miracle. This is your host, ex-atheist Richard Walker. Greetings once again to our Boston radio audience, especially those of you who are students. Whether you are currently attending a high school, college, university, pursuing a bachelor's degree, a Ph.D., or if you just are a lifelong learner who likes to think, likes to pay attention, likes to evaluate whether what you're being told makes any sense or not, then you are, in fact, a student, and I welcome you to this show. And the show's title is Creation, Myth, or Miracle. And what that's referring to is the creation account from the Bible, primarily in Genesis, but it's referenced elsewhere throughout the Bible as well. This creation account has everything being created supernaturally by God. And furthermore, if you take just a straightforward reading of the genealogies and the dates at which children were born, etc., people have done this now for thousands of years, you can calculate fairly easily that the implied age of this earth is somewhere around six or 7,000 years. Certainly not 4.58 billion years, as we are told by the mainstream scientific community. And in fact, it is very frequently stated, sometimes it's more subtly implied, but it's often just overtly stated, that those who continue to hang on to that old religious belief of a an actual God and an actual creation having occurred are simply uneducated, they're unaware of the evidence, they're unscientific, sometimes they're called pre-scientific, science deniers, all kinds of labels are applied to them. Now, when I heard those types of things when I was an atheist, the impression I had was, those people must be nuts. You know, why, why would they deny Science. Why would they deny things that are obviously true? And that's what I thought they were doing. That may be what you think creationists are doing. If that's what you think, hang on and pay a little bit of attention. But there's an underlying premise in all of this. There's a major contradiction here. Is it the case that we examine the world around us and we have a naturalistic explanation, meaning... No creator needed, God not required, and we have a scientific explanation for what we observe. Planets, life, solar system, stars, galaxies, etc., all of that. Is that the case? That's what we're told all the time. Is that really true or not? The Apostle Paul wrote in the first chapter of his letter to the Romans that there is evidence in the creation around us that points to the Creator. That's a very bold statement, and in fact, it is a testable statement. Are there observations? Is there evidence that requires a Creator? Or can we explain everything purely naturalistically, as I mentioned a moment ago? Is that possible? Well, the only way to really think about this is to evaluate the various proposals for how things did come to be the way they are. And that's a large part of what we do on this show. That's not all that we do by any means, but it's a large part of what we do. Because I discovered something that at first astounded me. More than 35 years ago, when I began to critically question 
the scientific scenarios that were being presented regarding the evolution or the coming to be of everything. My initial questioning happened to be in the realm of astronomy, and it happened to be specifically within the realm of stellar evolution, or how do stars come to exist? And I discovered something that continues to be reaffirmed over and over again now for decades, and that's the following. You can have some very nice-sounding proposals, some theories, some stories as to how things work. Here's how this developed. For example, here's how our solar system developed. We have a nice story about that. But then, to evaluate it, you must look down into the details. If something is truly scientific, there ought to be things like algorithms and numbers and formulas. You ought to be able to evaluate it quantitatively, not just have a qualitative story that may or may not sound good. So we're going to try to do a little bit of evaluation about our solar system. There are frequently news articles, in fact, they're very frequent nowadays, the discovery of more exoplanets, meaning planets that are not part of this solar system, planets revolving around some other star someplace. And so we have more and more supposed evidence of planets. Well, how well are our theories of how planets formed the solar system? How well are those theories holding up? How well were they holding up even before we had evidence of exoplanets? We'll take a look at some of those issues using as a primary jumping-off point a blog which is well worth taking a look at, Creation Evolution Headlines, C-R-E-V dot info. He pulls together a great deal of information, has been doing so for years, and there's often some very interesting threads to follow. We'll take a look at one related to the evolution of planets in just a moment. Creation Evolution Headlines, July 5th, 2014. Title, Start Over, The Evolution of Planets is All Wrong. Well, what is he talking about there? Ideas about planetary evolution are so far off base with observations of exoplanets, it's time to wipe the slate clean. If you look over at Nature, there's a recent article by Anne Finkbeiner titled Planets in Chaos, but actually the planets are doing just fine. The theories to explain their origins are so far off, they're not even salvageable. The subtitle to Finkbeiner's article reads, The discovery of thousands of star systems wildly different from our own has demolished ideas about how planets form. Astronomers are searching for a whole new theory. Her review brings to mind Huxley's quip that many a beautiful theory was destroyed by an ugly fact. The Nature article says, Not so long ago, as recently as the mid-1990s in fact, there was a theory so beautiful that astronomers thought it simply had to be true. This is referring to the core accretion theory, which is the updated Laplace nebular hypothesis. It was beautiful because it fit well with Darwinism's slow, gradual accumulation of infinitesimal changes. It was beautiful, too, because it explained our solar system's arrangement. Rocky planets near the sun, icy bodies farther out, quote, and because the same principles of physics and astronomy must apply throughout the universe, 
it predicted that any system of exoplanets around another star would look pretty much the same, end quote. See, it even made predictions. Good theory. But reality had a way of punishing scientists for extrapolating from a sample of one. After all, we've only had a close look at one solar system. And the fact is, the explanation for each of the individual planets doesn't really work too well without even considering these exoplanets. I once again highly recommend the DVDs over at creationastronomy.com, put together by Spike Saris. But as we continue this review article looking at the current state of our understanding of how well we know the formation of the solar system, give some serious thought to how many caveats and how many weasel words and how much we just don't have a clue about and how much what we thought we knew is completely wrong. It's important to get the perspective here especially when you add in the notion that this is supposed to be so well understood and so well defined that there's absolutely no need nor place for a creator in any of this. And yet, as you'll hear from their own words, this is not well known or understood at all. But the logic is there in the background all the time. We don't need a designer nor a creator. Naturalism's perfectly sufficient. That viewpoint colors how people think. Let me interject something here coming from the Wikipedia article on the nebular hypothesis, supposedly how the solar system formed. In this article, there's a short little discussion about an astronomer, Sir David Brewster, who claimed that Sir Isaac Newton's religious beliefs had previously considered nebular ideas as tending to atheism. And quoting him, so this is Brewster quoting Newton as saying, The growth of new systems out of old ones, without the mediation of a divine power, seemed to him apparently absurd. So Brewster's implying that Newton thinks it's absurd because of his religious belief. Now, who is Isaac Newton? He's the one who formulated the laws of gravitation and used them to explain the motions of the objects within the solar system, isn't he? Perhaps he looked closely at the data, the actual science, and concluded that the growth of a new system out of an old one, all by itself, is apparently absurd, meaning the physics gets in the way of it. It won't happen all by itself. That isn't driven by a religious belief. That's driven by looking at the details of the science. But since he's a religious believer... Somebody can come along like Brewster and claim, well, that's just his religious beliefs getting in the way. That's nonsense. But let's get back to today's problem. So scientists had this nebular hypothesis, which has been modified several times, but still doesn't really explain what we have without some rather laughable occurrences being proposed. If we have time, we may look at a couple of those. But nonetheless, we have this theory based upon one solar system. However, What happened when we get more data? The Nature article says, but in the mid-1990s, astronomers actually started finding those exoplanets, and they looked nothing like those in our solar system. Remember, that was a prediction. Any other solar systems found should look very much like ours, since we have this great theory as to how they formed. The article goes on, gas giants the size of Jupiter 
whipped around their stars in tiny orbits where core accretion said gas giants were impossible. Other exoplanets traced out wildly elliptical orbits. Some looped around their stars poles. Planetary systems, it seemed, could take any shape that did not violate the laws of physics. That's a good point at the end of that quote. When we observe any system right now, we don't see a violation of the laws of physics. However, it's the stories as how they got into that situation, as to how they originated, where physics starts to get into the way. Now, the phrase core accretion is really just the idea that the way these objects form, the planets and the sun itself, is by gas and dust and things swirling around the object being pulled into it and attached to it gravitationally. And that's how they become bound gravitationally. Notice what the Nature article said. These gigantic Jupiter-type objects, gas giants, Jupiter's not a solid planet, it's a gas giant. It's almost like a mini star. Well, the core accretion model says that gas giants like Jupiter cannot form near the sun. It is impossible. Those doggone laws of chemistry and physics get in the way of that. And yet, we seem to see them right there near the stars that they're orbiting. We don't have any explanation for how those formed. Now, the Creation Evolution Headlines blog continues, The sad conflagration of the beautiful theory has been told and retold before, referencing three other articles on their website alone, especially since the Kepler spacecraft turned up the heat. Well, that means we got more data, actual details about these objects in the solar system. For example, eight years ago, Here's part of a discussion about solar system theorists trying to reverse engineer the planets without a recipe. The fundamental problem is the planets exist. We can see them, but you can't get them from a rotating disk of dust and gas. You just can't get a solar system from those models. They're at a loss to explain Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and a whole bunch of other problems within the solar system that we do see up close. And a press release from astronomy and astrophysics back then explained some of the problems. Two British astronomers found a showstopper in their models. Any hopeful clumps tend to march in lockstep to their deaths in the center, like lumps of oatmeal washing down the drain before they can solidify. This is called Type 1 migration. The viscosity of the stellar disk carries material inward like a spiral conveyor belt. What they're talking about is supposedly you've got this swirling cloud and let's say a planet begins to form. Now I get a big lump in the swirling cloud and that lump is drawing in more and more dust and it's getting bigger. I mean, that's the basic idea of core accretion, right? Well, we also know from physics that lump will tend to be slowed down. And it will tend to spiral into the sun, which is at the center of this swirling disk. That's a bit of a problem. We need to have it completely form and stay out there in its orbits. They just don't want to cooperate. Furthermore, this migration inward is so rapid, it's only a few thousand years, that there is simply not time for a gas giant to form by core accretion. If the planet is able to open a gap in the disk, a more benign Type 2 migration 
still keeps it moving inwardly, but more slowly. Dr. Alan Boss from the Carnegie Institute of Washington was sharing some of his heretical views at a presentation back in March 2006 about this at JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and he listed many cons outweighing the pros of the core accretion theory. And, of course, he's got his own new unproven theory of disk instability. Now, what's interesting is a footnote here that was recorded at Creation Evolution Headlines. Dr. Boss mentioned several times that core accretion is only a problem with gas giants. He claimed it worked well with rocky terrestrial planets like the Earth. But in the Q&A session, he did admit that there is a gap in our understanding of how initial particles begin to accrete. Bodies need to reach at least 10 meters before gravitation can pull in more material. He referred to studies performed in space that demonstrate that dust grains moving with slow relative velocities in a vacuum will clump into filaments and irregular clumps he called dust bunnies. But after they get to a certain size, they begin to impact one another too fast for further accretion to occur. At that stage, more material is lost than accreted. So he confessed there's a question mark between the dust bunny stage and the 10 meter stage. Now note, he only expressed this information during Q&A. Previously, he had said there's no problem with the core accretion model for these rocky planets. That's simply not true. There's an enormous problem. Once again, physics gets in the way. He also went on to mention that there are other problems in the outer disk with the core accretion model. So you've got to understand that experts in the area will very often, sort of in their public presentation, hand wave over problems that they are very well aware of. They'll in fact claim there are no problems when they know there are. And in this case, He admitted so and explained what the problem is under question and answer. So why did he claim earlier there was no problem? Isn't that interesting? It's precisely this type of positive statement being made that doesn't hold up well to scrutiny of the details that so got my interest when I began to turn my brain on and critically think about the stories I was being told about how everything formed. So that was back in 2006. How about in 2009? And again, just using stuff pulled together by uh, Creation Evolution Headlines. And in an article discussing several problems related to the origin and growth of asteroids, I want to focus just on this one single issue of how do we get hard stuff to accumulate? Dust grains coagulate by Brownian motion and chemical or electrical sticking mechanisms. This can lead to sand to boulder-sized agglomerates. That is, if there isn't too much turbulence, because turbulence can cause a disruption faster than the formation of these supposed agglomerates. And so, as one researcher said, not only must turbulence be low, but the gas must go away before the growing planetesimals spiral in. Decoupled solids spiral toward the sun at an estimated one astronomical unit per 10 to a 1,000 years. So there is not much time. Wait a minute. I thought planets form slowly over millions of years, 
but now you're telling me the physics implies that in 10 to 1,000 years, any planetesimals that begin to form will already have spiraled into the sun. That sounds like a bit of a problem to me. And it is. In fact, the same researcher said, quote, The problem of accreting meter-sized planetesimals is far from solved. Well, let's back up for just a moment. If our theory of the formation of rocky planets can't get past the dust bunny stage of little filaments of dust, do we really have a theory of the formation of rocky planets? I'd say we don't. We've got a story with a big arrow pointing to an early stage that says, and then a miracle occurred. Contrary to the laws of physics, dust bunnies accumulated into multimeter-sized rocks and continued to accumulate all the way up to big planets. And, oh, by the way, this happened in less than a thousand years so that it didn't spiral into the sun. But I'm going to tell you it occurred slowly over millions of years. Something not quite right with the details here. Now, this problem of accumulating stuff spiraling into the sun rather rapidly came to be highlighted back about 20-some years ago. But the problem was knowable just by plain old physics the whole time. Once again, as I keep saying, the devil is in the details. Before you believe anybody's story about how things happened, insist upon a few details and make sure that they actually work. Well, how are things been progressing? Back in August of 2010, before the first extrasolar planets were discovered, astronomers had high confidence that other solar systems would resemble ours, just what we've been talking about. So we expected to find rocky planets close to the sun and gas giants further out. And there was an article in Caltech's Engineering and Science magazine with an interview about what are we learning in extrasolar planet hunting. John Johnson was asked this question. What are some of the current big questions that you guys are trying to tackle? The answer was, we're interested in how the solar system formed. We're interested in our immediate environment and describing its origins. And beyond that, we're interested in general in how planetary systems formed. There are some very specific questions that arise at every turn. There are so many surprises in this field, almost nothing is turning out as we expected. There are Jupiter-sized planets in three-day orbits. That means really close to their sun. There are Jupiter-mass planets with hugely inflated radii at densities far lower than we thought were possible for a gas giant planet. There are giant planets with gigantic solid cores that defy models of planet formation which say there shouldn't be enough solids available in a protoplanetary disk to form a planet that dense. There are planets with tilted orbits. There are planets that orbit the poles of their stars in so-called circumpolar orbits. And after describing other problems, he says, what's interesting is that we found very little that resembles our example. Now, remember, the example is our solar system. In fact, Johnson said things are so wacky that it would be like going on a safari and discovering a blue lion. So in 2010, things hadn't gotten much better. So here it is, July 2014, and here's a quote from a recent article we've been discussing. The findings have triggered controversy and confusion as astronomers struggle to work out what the old theory was missing. They are trying ideas but are still far from sure how the pieces fit together. The field in its current state, quote, 
doesn't make much sense, says Norm Murray of the Canadian Institute for Theoretical Astrophysics in Toronto. It's impossible right now to account for everything, agrees Kevin Schlafman, an astrophysicist at MIT. So you get the idea they don't really have a clue how the solar system formed. We do not have models that work. The models we have made predictions which have been completely falsified by our new discoveries, both within and without our own solar system. This type of evidence is certainly not sufficient to convince me that we have no need for a creator and we fully understand everything around us without God. How about you? Do you think we know what's going on? Perhaps it's time to investigate the creator himself. See creationmythormiracle.com. <laughs>